It's Midday Magazine for Wednesday, August 16th. I'm Shelby Herbert. The price of elementary school lunches in Petersburg will increase by 20 cents this school year, while meals at the middle and high schools will remain free. The Petersburg School District's food program is an enterprise fund, which means it has to pay for itself. Inflation is increasing the cost of food and putting more pressure on the food program. The price of food in schools nearly tripled last year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Food Service Director Carly McIntosh Johnson says the district raised the price just enough to cover costs. I mean, 25 cents, it's not a, it's not a lot, but it's enough You know, it's enough. Some students are eligible for free or reduced price lunches. Reduced lunches cost just 40 cents. The food service program is then reimbursed by the federal government for the rest of the cost of those meals. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the price for an Alaskan school lunch should be just over $5. But the district will charge $3.75. At the moment, breakfasts are free to all elementary students. McIntosh Johnson says that's because the school district wants to make sure kids start their day well fed. So at least we know that if they don't get anything else, they can start their day off with breakfast. If, if a kid is hungry, they're more likely to act out. They're more, more likely to be distracted in class. So that has helped start them off. Breakfasts and lunches are free at Mitkoff Middle School and Petersburg High School. That's because enough students qualify for a designation called Community Eligibility Provision. It includes families enrolled in food stamps, temporary assistance, and a program called Migrant Education. The Migrant Education Program is for children whose families fish commercially, gather berries, or fish subsistence. Since over 40% of the middle and high school students qualify, every meal served is reimbursed by the federal government. But the number of qualifying elementary-age kids isn't quite high enough, so families with elementary-age kids have to pay for lunch. Johnson McIntosh says she'll do what she can to keep costs low at the elementary. In the meantime, families can contact her at cjohnson at pcsd.os to find out more about qualifying for programs related to the Community Eligibility Program. Those interested in reduced price or free school lunches can apply at www.schoolcafe.com. An earlier version of the story stated that children of hunters would qualify for the Migrant Education Program, which is incorrect. There could be up to five times as many streams in Alaska than previously thought. That's according to a group of scientists and programmers who have spent nearly a decade mapping out the state. And they're presenting their work at the Petersburg Library tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Lee Benda runs Terrain Works, a company that maps natural landscapes. He says that many state and federal agencies rely on the National Hydrography data set, which charts known waterways. The problem with the data sets is that the mapping accuracy is fair to poor and they lack large numbers of streams and rivers because they were drawing them from photographs and interpreting their location even under thick vegetation. So Benda's team built new maps based on cutting-edge, high-resolution digital elevation data, which was gathered by aircraft. And that's led to some dramatic discoveries. 
on North Chichikov Island, west of Juneau, uh, we discovered 518% increase in the channel length of the networks in that island based on the higher resolution digital data. It was eye-opening to see all the streams that are missing on the current maps. Benda's new maps have already revealed nearly 200,000 miles of new streams across Alaska. That's enough streams to go around the world seven times. And so far, they've only mapped half the state. Benda says all of this matters for two big reasons. Firstly, fish habitats. Well, if you're going to protect fish habitat, you have to know where the habitat is. And so with the advanced mapping and the discovery of all these what I would call missing streams, there's also missing salmon habitats that are identified as well. And secondly, natural disasters. Floodplains are also mapped at the same time, so that can show you where you're exposed to flooding. And also the small tributaries coming out of the mountains are those that carry the landslide debris and hit homes on the lower gradient ground. Terrain Works is now collaborating with the U.S. Geological Survey to improve mapping in the Yukon Territory and St. Lawrence Island. They'll also be working with the U.S. Forest Service in the coming months to uncover hidden streams on the islands off of Prince of Wales. You can hear more about Benda's work during his presentation, Searching for Missing Streams and Salmon Habitats, which is taking place at the Petersburg Public Library on Thursday at 6.30 p.m. On Sunday, a canoe incident at Chilkoot Lake near Haines resulted in the watercraft's nine occupants being rescued and brought to the local clinic. A number of them were then medevaced for further care. Haines Volunteer Fire Department Chief Brian Clay said that he is not aware of any deaths resulting from the incident. The canoe was operated by Haines Tour Company Alaska Mountain Guides. Company owner Sean Gaffney was not immediately available for comment. Major changes could be coming to Juno's waterfront. The city's planning commission has approved Huna Totem Corporation's application to build a culture and science center, retail space, and underground parking. Katie Anastas has more. Huna Totem is calling the $150 million project Auck Landing. It includes a new cruise ship dock, a culture and science center, retail space, and underground parking. Last month, the Planning Commission approved the dock, but they stopped short of permitting the rest of the project, saying they wanted more information and public input. On Tuesday, the Commission got that public input, and it was mostly in favor. Kerry Crocker leads the local International Longshore and Warehouse Union. Their workers moor and unmoor ships at the docks downtown. These are good-paying jobs. They are um, living wage jobs, provide uh, pension, benefits, health care. And the additional work opportunity with this project is considerable for us. The approved proposal includes a culture and science center, built with help from Sea Alaska Heritage Institute and Gold Belt. Carla Kasalukin, a Huna Totem shareholder, said Auck Landing would go beyond preserving culture. It lays the foundation for economic empowerment and sustainable development, not just for the city of Juneau and its residents, but also within our indigenous community. Those who spoke against the project like downtown resident Steve Crawl, were concerned about pollution and other negative impacts of tourism. The basic problem facing us now as citizens is not that tourism is wrong or bad, but there's too much of it, and we've neglected to manage it in a reasonable way. 
But Fred Parody, Huna Totem's chief operating officer, said the project would help reduce congestion on South Franklin Street. It's on the other side of the waterfront from the rest of the cruise ship docks. Shifting 125,000 people from one side of town to the other is significant in terms of pedestrian traffic flow. Commissioner Eric Peterson said the location meant buses could avoid much of downtown on their way to the Mendenhall Glacier. It lowers impacts to our community, especially with the buses not driving through town. Um, And it, it basically provides a great way to unload a ship. The commission voted to approve the conditional use permit application in a seven to one vote. The Juneau Assembly still needs to approve a lease of the Tidelands before Huna Totem can build a dock. The Planning Commission's decision on the dock has been appealed by Juneau resident Carla Hart. The Assembly will either accept or reject that appeal at its next meeting. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. Two ash eruptions to Shishaldin Volcano disrupted air travel to the Aleutians yesterday. A Dutch Harbor Airport representative said a Raven Alaska afternoon flight was canceled from Anchorage to Unalaska and two Aleutian Airways flights were affected. One morning flight to the island was delayed by 30 minutes and an afternoon flight from Anchorage to King Salmon was rerouted back to Anchorage. The first eruption around 3.35 a.m. released a 35,000-foot ash cloud that slowly drifted northeast into the Bering Sea towards western interior Alaska, according to the National Weather Service. The second eruption released a 16,000-foot plume just after 3 p.m. Shishaldin, located on Unimak in the eastern Aleutians, is one of the most active volcanoes in the island chain. There have been several events at the volcano since this eruption began on July 12th. Chris Way Thomas, a geologist for the Alaska Volcano Observatory, said experts don't know how long the eruption will last. Previous eruptions at Shishaldin have gone on for months. You can report ashfall and stay up to date on volcanic activity on the Alaska Volcano Observatory's website. Trident Seafoods says they're delaying their proposed Unalaska processing plant. The seafood titan released a statement yesterday morning saying it would break ground on the new plant in 2025. That's a year later than originally anticipated. Trident blames a combination of global events, including high inventory and aggressive competition from foreign markets. Representatives say the delayed start doesn't change their long-term plans. The company maintains it will build a state-of-the-art facility in Captain's Bay and will shift its operations from nearby Accutan to the new site. The updated timeline would put the facility online in 2028 at the earliest. Alaska has the highest rate of veterans in the country. And veterans face high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, addiction, and suicide, but only half of veterans who need mental health care actually get it. Alaska Public Media's Rachel Cassandra talked with one Alaskan who hopes his story will convince other veterans to get treatment. Veteran James Phelps is in a wheelchair rugby tournament. To get a little desperate with the passes. He throws his arm up and passes the rugby ball to another player who scores. Wow! (laughs) This is grim. In June, his team took home a gold medal in the Warrior Games Challenge Tournament. Phelps has mobility issues from his work. He doesn't need to use a wheelchair for his daily life, but through the Air Force's Wounded Warrior program, he learned to play wheelchair rugby, 
wheelchair basketball, and seated volleyball. They were sports he didn't think he was capable of playing anymore. So along with that comes confidence and self-esteem boosts, uh, a sense of belonging to something. This sense of belonging is something Phelps has been working toward for eight years. In 2015, he was at a fireworks celebration with his wife and infant daughter, and he thought he was dying. All of a sudden, I just felt this blood rush out of my face. I was like, I can't hardly breathe, so I'd like hand my daughter to my wife. I'm like, we need to go to the hospital because I think I'm having a heart attack. At the hospital, all his tests were normal. The doctors explained he'd likely had a panic attack. Veterans deal with high rates of PTSD, and fireworks are a common trigger. It's treatable, but the barriers to care can be high. Alaska faces shortages of behavioral health providers, lack of beds for inpatient care, and inconsistent services in rural areas. And counselors say veterans may be more hesitant to reach out because they feel like they should be able to handle things on their own. This is how Phelps felt at first. Until his mental health issues grew too big to handle by himself, he was already dealing with PTSD when he lost a best friend to suicide. And that's, uh, that's kind of when the bottom fell out. Phelps was having nightmares, panic attacks, and memory loss. He started seeing a counselor for grief, but he was struggling with much more than that. Then he went to an inpatient psychiatric hospitalization in Kansas City, Missouri. And it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. Because it was the moment I had to admit that I could no longer do my job. So it was also one of the smartest things I ever did in my life. It's probably the only reason I'm still here. Inpatient care helped Phelps deal with the emotional fallout of his service and the loss of his friend. But after that, he wasn't sure where his life would go next. So his wife, Cynthia Phelps, secretly signed him up for a wounded warrior program in Colorado. She told him it would be a vacation. Instead, Phelps ended up at a one-week wellness intensive with wounded veterans. I'm in a room with about 15 other people. We're all going through our dirt and we're supporting each other and we're learning from each other. And it just became a great group of people. That program allowed Phelps to start rebuilding that sense of purpose he'd lost when he left the military. Phelps' journey is a familiar one to Monique Andrews. She's a therapist and is in the Alaska Army National Guard. She's not speaking officially for the military, but in her private practice, she sees many veterans and people in the military. She says she sees a lot of PTSD in her practice, but people in the military face a wide range of mental health struggles, and Phelps isn't the only one who's had trouble asking for help. There is a lot of rigidity around the the role of being a military member. It is a role of reverence. It is a role of respect. It is a role of protector. It is a role of always maintaining control. And it almost leaves no room for error. And Andrew says sometimes the people around a veteran or service member can miss signs that they're struggling. They may be more likely to feel their struggles in their body. Anxiety or depression might show up as neck or back pain. Or it may seem less like someone is struggling internally and more that they're acting out. They demonstrate their distress in ways that can be off-putting to others through frustration response, irritability, risk-taking behavior, increased use of drugs and alcohol sometimes. 
Coping skills like using drugs or alcohol may seem more socially acceptable in the military than going to therapy, but Andrew says these behaviors can be signs of real struggles with mental health. Phelps didn't turn to alcohol or drugs, but he wishes he had asked for help sooner. Because it's hard to do that, he wants to tell his experiences to as many veterans as possible. He's even considering taking a job telling his story to people having mental health crises. My advice to anybody out there who's struggling with anything like this is to just to reach out. Don't be scared of it. Phelps doesn't know exactly where his life will go from here, but he's optimistic. He's learned he can't always avoid triggers for his PTSD like fireworks. But when he hears them now, he has a whole kit of mental health tools to use. In Anchorage, I'm Rachel Cassandra. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.